wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. Links to our social media accounts and many other episodes are at bleedingdaylight.net. And please think who else would benefit from hearing this episode. Let them know where to find Bleeding Daylight. Does it ever seem like you're on an endless quest to please others, but you don't feel you measure up? Today's guest has the key to help you break free. Have you ever found yourself trying to measure up to some unattainable standard, hoping that you'll maybe do enough to earn the love of other people and maybe from God? Do you wonder if you'll ever be enough? That was how Emily Lewis felt for many years, but then something changed. Today, we'll explore that change and discover that the constant, exhausting search for acceptance can be over. Emily hosts the Abundant Grace podcast and shares resources on her website to help people confidently be themselves. She's my guest today on Bleeding Daylight. Emily, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Rodney. You've said that your first 26 years were spent on almost an endless treadmill of trying to be enough. When did you first realize that you had this internal dialogue telling you to keep pushing harder to find acceptance? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I think it wasn't until the treadmill started to stop that I realized I had been running for all of that time because it was just what I was taught to do. And being the good girl that I was trying to please everyone, I just got on and started running and never asked any questions. Or if I did ask questions, I really didn't want the answer because I didn't want to be wrong. It wasn't until there was kind of a faith crisis moment when people that I looked up to were not living in integrity. Then I had to start asking like, well, if that isn't true, what else isn't true? And then God graciously led me towards, you can get off of this performance. You can stop trying to prove yourself. The pressure is off. The pressure isn't on. Like Matthew 11 talks about that Jesus wants to give us an easy burden and an easy yoke, right? He wants to get in that yoke with us. And I had never experienced it. Of course, I knew the Bible verse, but I never experienced it. So it wasn't until I started to get off of that, learn about resting actually resting in Jesus and who he says I already am, that I was able to recognize it. I think many people would probably identify with that and they would look back and they would see some of those things throughout childhood into teen years and into early adulthood. When you look back, do you start noticing those things that what you were doing, whilst, as you say, you were just trying to be a good girl, were actually those markers to say, I'm just trying to get that acceptance from family, from God, from those around me? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Looking back, I can see how consumed I was with keeping God close, for example. I definitely felt this with God because the view of him that I had was kind of harsh and distant And my core fear was that he was just going to up and leave if I didn't do enough. So looking back at my decisions or even my decision not to ask questions and my striving and checking all of the boxes, which is part of my personality anyway. So it's fascinating when we look at nature and nurture, right? But the nurture there of being like handed a list 
essentially, of how to keep God happy. I can see how I tried really hard to follow that list. And I think this can be a little bit different for every person. But when we lay our head down at night and we think, did I get anything done today? Did I do good enough today? And those thoughts can start racing. Like we don't feel like we measured up to maybe our standard. And we assume that that's what God is expecting from us too, because maybe a community has expected that from us. That endless list in our head is one hint towards trying to measure up or prove and any level of comparison. And this can come out pretty sideways when we're trying to compare ourselves to other people and see, are we doing enough? It can get ugly because in our spirit, we're looking at other people. And when we're better than them, we're like, yes, I got it. And we kind of look down on them. Or if we don't have it, if we look at somebody else who's doing more than us, we can feel jealousy or we can feel like, oh man, I'm just not doing enough. So those are some of the things that go on in the mental game when we're trying to prove ourselves. So tell me what it was that when you were 26, that there was this crisis where you realized that this person wasn't living up to the faith standard that they set. And actually none of us are going to attain this perfection that we're trying to race toward. So the pastor that I grew up under was exposed for domestic violence. I use that language carefully because he didn't fall into it. He'd been hiding it for a long time. And that incongruence was shocking at first. And then everything started to make sense. And the pieces came together of the abusive style of leadership inside the church as well and allowed me to ask those questions I did experience the culmination of one of my worst fears after asking questions and after finding that God loved me and he even liked me. It was so crazy and so stark contrast to what all of other religions and when we're in a legalistic uh, mindset about Jesus, we are just striving and I believe that God loved me because the Bible said so, right? So I have to believe that God loved me, but I didn't experience it. And I didn't believe that God liked me at all. I thought he maybe tolerated me. But after I started asking those questions, then God brought me to resources that allowed me to see his grace. And that culmination of my worst fear was once I started accepting God's unconditional love, I thought everybody would be excited about it. Like our faith community, the church I grew up in was in a crisis mode because of this pastor having to leave and really trying to find our footing. So I thought that everybody would be really excited to find grace and unconditional love. And I was so wrong. And after wrestling with that for a couple of years, being rejected by them, but then two things happened. God didn't leave me. And that was really cool that he has promised never to leave us. And now I can know it personally because I've lived it. And the second thing that happened was I found people that actually like me that I don't have to measure up to. Just like God was not threatening to leave me all along. I thought that's who he was. And there were people in my life that wanted me to measure up in order to be valuable 
enough to be a part, to belong. And finding people that loved me for me and saw worth and value in me that I didn't see was incredible. That crisis point was really the impetus for a shift and a change. And now I can look at it and think that that was a gift of a crisis. Because like I said, I was just going through the motions, accepting the status quo as it was. And that allowed me out of the box that I had put myself and got in. So often we can be afraid of what is in the dark coming to the light. And obviously this pastor was feeling that way. He was trying to maintain darkness over his deeds, over what was going on behind closed doors. And yet we see that when it is opened, there is the opportunity for people to see things very differently as you have. Do you feel that those people who were still expecting you to to run this non-ending race, that were still expecting you to live up with this standard, were actually just still battling with that same struggle themselves and, and just hoping that everything would somehow end up okay? I think when we're in that performance spot, which I still struggle with, right? I'm still learning to look up some days and go, wait a second, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing this for people or whatever? So when we're in that spot of performing and trying to measure up, we have to maintain other people measuring up and performing too. So they have to expect other people to, and we are mirrors. We project onto other people, our own expectations, or we project onto other people, our fears as well. So if we see someone else living in freedom, it might freak us out a little bit because we think, well, they can't be living in freedom or they can't be doing this or doing that. Because if I were doing that, I would feel so much shame. So they project that same shame onto other people. And that can be really helpful for us to recognize that other people are uncomfortable with themselves. And it usually is more about them than it is about us. If something is making them uncomfortable or making them react in a certain way, we can come at it with so much empathy because of the deep fear that they have that they might be wrong. That is such a risky thing. It can feel like you have to agree in order to be accepted. So the fear of getting it wrong is high. If we don't continue to accept the status quo, everyone's afraid that we're going to be rejected or like not belonging anymore. So they have to maintain their own belief or their own status quo and not asking questions in order to feel like they're allowed to be a Christian or allowed to be part of that culture. I imagine there's always a number of responses whenever a crisis time comes. And I imagine in this situation, there would have been those who would have said, okay, well, that's that's kind of destroyed this image I had of faith and have walked away from faith. There are other people like yourself who have found a new freedom within faith and other people who would then just double down, as you've explained there, would double down on this works-based faith. So did you see all of those expressions at this time of crisis in this church? Oh, I don't remember if I saw as much people walking away. I do remember it it was very healing for a lot of people, even people who had previously walked away. 
it was kind of the closure and the, oh, I'm not crazy kind of moment. Because when you're in something like that, in a spiritually abusive environment, you think you're the one that's wrong. I just must not be spiritual enough to handle his attitude, or I, I just not, must not be good enough in order to like follow all the rules, or it must be me. There must be some inherent problem with me that I'm not fitting in here or that I'm asking questions that nobody else is, seems to be asking. Um, so when it comes up that someone was not living in integrity, that there was spiritual abuse, that there was mishandling of human beings and of God's word, it can be a sigh of relief. Like, Oh, I'm not crazy. So people that had already left after hearing went, Oh, there was like a collective sigh of relief. And then I definitely saw a lot of people finding freedom and freedom to ask questions and all across the spectrum. And yeah, I saw a lot of doubling down as well. And I felt the double down in my spirit at first also, because it's embarrassing to say I was doing this because it was what I was told to do, not really because I thought it was what God wanted me to do. And that's embarrassing, especially if you've put a lot of stock into something, if you put a lot of time and effort and energy into a certain belief, when you say, well, if the leader's gone, then I stop believing this way or stop acting this way or stop putting myself into X, Y, Z box, then I am essentially admitting that I was only doing it out of the pressure from this leader. And that's a hard spot to be in. And for probably just a couple of days, a week, maybe I was like, oh, I'm not changing it anything because then that would mean I was only doing it for men's approval, not because I thought it was what was right. So that was my own motivation in trying to double down before letting the questions actually have some airtime. You had put a lot of stock in this way of living, of trying to perform. You've been doing this for 26 years, right through your, your childhood and into your adulthood. And we know that we serve a big God, so he can make things change in a moment. But I imagine that there was a lot of ingrained attitudes that you had to work on and, as you hinted at, are still working on today to realize the love of God in your life. Correct. God's love, I think, is the most important thing that we can understand. Who God says that we are is critical for our understanding. We have to know who he says we are. We have to have a correct view of him, right? So there's a lot of examining and peeling back the layers of the onion and deciding which parts to keep and which parts are healthy. Part of that is who does God say that I am? Because when we're trying to perform or earn or achieve or measure up to some specific religious standard, we are not accepting who God says we already are because we're trying so hard to earn it. And I, I like the example of like a clenched fist when we're holding on so tightly to something, we can feel like it's risky to open up our hands. Kind of like if we are clenching our hands so tightly, we're also not letting anything pour in. So our desire to strive and to achieve something on our own merit 
is damaging our ability to receive God's love. So we have to start from a place of God says that I am beloved, that I am chosen, that I am wanted, that he's never going anywhere. And if we start from that place, then we can start to rest. Then we can let go of all of the expectations that we've placed on ourselves or assumed that God has had for us. And then we can let his love shift and change us. I'll give you an example of how this works in my relationship with my husband. So one of the things that I thought was my responsibility as a quote unquote good Christian wife and mom was that I had certain standards of how my house should look. And I assumed that that's what my husband wanted because it wasn't a good dynamic of serving and loving each other. It was me just trying to keep him happy because when we have those insecure attachments, we're trying to make other people happy out of insecurity because we want to make sure that they're happy with us. So we have this constant striving and we forget to actually check in with God or with other people that we love and see what they want because we've assumed, sometimes we assume what they want and what would make them happy and what we quote unquote should be doing. I felt like I needed to have my dishes out of my sink and cleaned before my husband came home from work because I was doing it for me. Even though I thought I was doing it for him, I was doing it so that he wouldn't get frustrated or so that he would be happy. And I realized he didn't care if there were dishes in the sink. This was something that I had decided was somehow very important. If this is done, he would be content and happy. So now, instead of trying to perform and keep my house to a certain standard so that he is happy, I can actually think through what would please him just in a good friend relationship. Like what would make make his day rather than how can I protect my image? How can I protect how other people experience me? Because we want to control how other people experience us. If we're afraid of rejection, if we're afraid of judgment, we want to present to them a certain version of ourselves. Maybe that's the the good housewife version of ourselves. Maybe that's the thoughtful version of ourselves. Maybe that's the whatever you feel like you need to be in certain situations. We can try to curate how other people experience us because it, it gives us the false pretense of control over how they view us. And the same thing can happen in our relationship with God, where we are hiding parts of ourselves from him. We're hiding that we are broken inside. We can hide these shameful spots. We can hide our struggles in hopes that somehow he accepts this goody goody version of ourselves and he just wants us and he doesn't want that striving and he doesn't want us trying to prove anything because he says, wait, wait, no, no, you're already accepted. You're already mine. And I mean, you can get into the story of the prodigal son and it's so beautiful. A lot of us are acting like the older brother in this story where we're working really hard and we forget what's right in front of us. Or we can be that younger brother who feels like they have to be penitent or somehow beat themselves up in front of God in order 
to gain the father's acceptance back when the father is saying, no, 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 this, all that I have is yours, even to the younger brother and to the older brother. And this is the message that our hearts need to, what is our motivation? Are we trying to get in good with the father by doing all the things? Are we trying to pray a really good penitent prayer in order to get in good with God? Or are we saying, God, thank you that I'm still accepted. And of course there's room for repentance and confession as well, but not in a beating ourselves up kind of a way and not in a performative. If I say this just right, maybe God will not be so angry. Everybody knows this in some relationship in their life where you just have a safe person and you know that no matter what happens or what you do or don't do, that person's going to love you. And then you can start to let them in on the hard parts. The same is with God. When we start to feel that he is trustworthy, that we are loved, then we can let God into those shame spots in our hearts that he already knew about anyway, right? But we were trying to hide and keep him from when we let him into those places and let him into relationship with who we actually are, not who we wish we were. There's so much healing and wholeness from that. I know that when we discover something amazing, we want to share it with people. And I'm wondering, what was the journey when you discovered this abundance of love, this abundance of grace that God was willingly pouring out for you? At what point did you say, I really need to share this with everyone and start towards the sort of work that you're now doing? My husband and I were working with our youth group at the time, and I remember explaining this to a couple of teenagers, and one really stands out in my mind as I know that this was the moment where I really started wanting to share this with others. I saw her eyes start to just light up as I was explaining that she didn't have to do more, that she was already accepted. And that was such a beautiful moment to just watch it happen in her face, watch her expression change and almost her shoulders kind of lose that tension. That was a moment for me. Like, oh, I want other people to experience this. I want more people to experience the lightness and the freedom. And as you say, there is still room for this repentance, for actually turning, but not in a beating yourself up way, because there would be some people who would be confusing this understanding of grace, which is poured right throughout Scripture, and they would confuse that with a a kind of easy believism. But this is not what you're talking about at all, is it? You're so right. Um, easy believism says we just say the right things and we believe, you know, we believe that we're loved and we just go off and we do whatever. And that's not what love is. Love actually meets us right where we're at and stays with us. I think it's still checking off a box for easy believism. Well, I, I did that rather than letting it seep into our hearts and let us be who God wants us to be and who he sees us as already. As you've started to publish on your website, as you've been putting out your podcast, what has been the response from people as they've heard this message and it's actually hit their heart? I think there's been a lot of feeling seen, like, oh, 
I experienced that too. I, I can put that down. I can stop trying to prove. And what I'm finding is it's quite a broad problem with people who have been around church a long time. It's easy for it to become performative when we know the good things that we should be doing, like loving people well, or praying or reading our Bible or doing things a certain way. Those things can easily become a checklist and we have to take a step back and examine and be open to changing things and being just present with God and focusing more on the connection and the relationship than doing. So it's beautiful to watch people set down some of that striving and recognize where they've been trying to prove themselves to God and stepping into more flourishing. So I love, I love when people are getting to the point where they're believing who God says they are and letting that help them let go of different standards or expectations that they've had for themselves. If this is striking a chord with people, and I believe it will strike a chord with many people, what's the easiest way for people to be in touch with you, to be able to to read what you're writing, to be able to listen to those podcasts? Thank you. Um, Go to Abundant Grace Podcast and you can listen to those episodes. I published my story again. um, There are a bunch of episodes on Abundant Grace for you to listen to. And also go to my website, Emily K. Lewis. That's Emily, the letter K, and Lewis is L-O-U-I-S.com forward slash bleeding daylight. And I'm going to leave a couple free resources that your audience can grab and enjoy. There's one on belonging and rest. It's a four-day challenge just to help us settle into who does God say we are and how does this impact my life in letting me rest? Because Jesus is inviting us to rest. That would be a great place to go. I'll leave a couple podcast episode links there that I think y'all would like too. I will make sure that I put a link to that in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net because I think sometimes we hear something, it resonates with us and we think that's great, but we don't do anything about it. So that four-day challenge is a way to say, this makes sense. I need to do something about it, not just put it on the back burner and continue as I've been continuing. So that's a great opportunity for listeners to get there. As I say, I'll put the details in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. But Emily, thank you for sharing some of your journey with us. Thank you so much for having me, Rodney. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.